There's nothing like the blood of Jesus to make things right and correct and take their proper perspective and take their proper place. I thank God for the blood. So grateful for the blood of Jesus because of his life given, his blood shed. Boy, we are cleaned up. We have access. It shows how much we're loved. Let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you in the name, that wonderful name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for sending him. Thank you that he died on the cross to remove and take away our sins and that you raised him from the dead so that he wouldn't be the only one, pure, righteous, holy, and right with you, but you desired your family to come back and to be a part, to be cleansed, to be washed, and to be new. Father, we thank you for it. As we approach your word, Father, we thank you for your word. Open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see your word, hear your word, our ears to hear your words in our heart. Father, that we receive what you have said in your word, that it becomes a part of us. And Father, that we live in the life that is in your word and that you have and that you have placed within us, that it comes not just dwelling on the inside without effect, but it affects every part of our being. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, 2 Corinthians 4, 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are at the things which are not seen. How do you look at things that you can't see? We're looking at things this morning that you cannot see. With the eye of faith. In other words, your believer. You can see things with your believer that you can't see with your natural eye. You know, some, some people, uh, interesting, I, I love to learn I love to research. I love to learn. I was uh, listening to somebody this week, and uh, you may already know this, so just be patient with us ignorant people <laughs> if you already know this. But somebody said to me, or said on this video I was watching, they said, uh, Jesus was not a carpenter. He was a stonemason. And I thought, what in the world? Jesus was a stonemason. <laughs> so I had to look it up. Said he's a son of a carpenter, you know. But then they... They said, you know, if you look, it's, the word for carpenter is actually a master builder, like a master craftsman. So he was a son of a, a master craftsman, like an architect, an amazing builder. And over there, uh, they didn't really have hardly any timber. So it actually is most likely that Jesus was a, a master stonemason builder. And, and then you start to think of everything that Jesus said and like, Wait a second, the stone that the builders rejected has become the, the main cornerstone of it all. You talk about all, all the stones and stuff, and you know, here I am, 46 years young, pastor, believer, most of all, pastor, second of all, and I just find out this week maybe Jesus wasn't a carpenter. I like that. <laughs> so, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which you cannot see. 
This is talking about believers, that our, our gaze is fixed upon things you cannot see. So we're not talking about just imaginary things, but things that actually have substance, that are tangible. Like you could, you could if I hand you my Bible, you could actually feel the Bible. It's, it's tangible, it's perceptible to the touch. Well, you know, there are things that you cannot see that are more real than you physically touching my Bible and knowing, yes, I feel that that Bible is what? I don't know, pretty thick, inch and a half or something like that, thick. But you can grab things spiritually and they can be more real because they are more real. But if you look with the eyes of your spirit, you'll see spiritual things are actually more real than natural things. And this is where faith is at. So you think of like a master builder. Well, I'll tell you what, a master builder, they can tell you all about that building before the first stone is laid, before the first cement is poured, before the ground is excavated. They'll tell you the size. They'll tell you the height. They'll tell you the materials. Why? Well, it's actually a project in faith. That may not be based on the word of God, but it's faith. Like, uh, I see it. I, I see this building, right? I see our building. Amen. I mean, you, you got to see it before you actually see it. Amen. you got to receive it before you actually have it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so, 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we look not at the things that are seen. What are some things that are seen? Well, uh, there's many things that can be seen. Uh, there's many things that can be felt. Uh, there's many things that can be experienced. Well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Weakness. You look at your weakness, you look at your inability, you talk about, uh, you know, this is a very discouraging thing. So you start to talk about things that are discouraging. You start to focus on discouraging things. Well, what happens? Well, all of a sudden, you kind of you feel like you're, you're leaking. Your strength starts to leak out because uh, you are basically sending yourself back to school to learn about doubt and unbelief because you're focusing on what you don't have, what you can't do, what you don't see physically. Well, if you keep focusing on that, or sometimes you focus on what you do see physically. You know, you know I got this growth, and I, I just, you know, uh, I just keep looking at the growth. I keep looking at the growth, you know, but, but I know the Lord will, will heal me. But I got this growth. But I got this growth. So you're, you're looking at those things that you can see, but when you look at the things that you can't see, which is what? Well, you know, one of the things that Jesus did on the cross, First Peter, or 2 Peter, rather, 2.24, second half of the verse says that the stripes that were laid on Jesus caused healing to come to us. Amen. Well, that's something, if you have a physical problem in your body that when I say you see it, you, you probably not only see it, but you experience it. You know, I talked a few weeks ago about those warts I had for a couple of years that just really annoyed me, you know. Well, I could see it, I could touch it, I could feel it, you know. And, um, you know, you get really, really acquainted with physical conditions. And, um, you know, I, I had an incurable disease for a few years in my early 20s. And, uh, man, the grace of God, the goodness of God. 
just some group of people praying together. They start praying in the Holy Ghost and other tongues. They're praying all of a sudden. They were not praying for me, not that they knew about. All of a sudden, uh, they're praying in the Spirit, and they're like, I came up before them, and they said uh, to uh, the lady and then one of the ladies in the group, her husband was a friend of mine, and I knew her as well, but she said, is there something wrong with Tim? And before he could get a chance to talk, she's like, well, I don't know if there is or not, but if there is, just tell him, we got it. We got the answer in prayer. Amen. You know, that thing left. I was healed of that. I didn't know they were praying. I never asked them to pray. The Lord's a, he's a good God. You know, um, you remember in Matthew chapter 15, I think it's verse 27, uh, the Syrophoenician woman, uh, her daughter was demon-possessed, and uh, she comes to Jesus and, you know, asks uh, Jesus to get rid of the demon, set her child free, heal her child. And uh, Jesus says, uh, well, that, that's the children's bread. You can't take the children's bread and give it to dogs. Jesus essentially called her daughter a dog and her a dog. That is not very politically correct. <laughs> Jesus was not politically correct. He was scripturally correct. But you know, the woman, let's read there just real quick. Jesus said, verse 24, he answered and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, and then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And she said, that's true, Lord. Yet the dogs eat the crumbs which are fallen from the master's table. And Jesus answered her and said, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you as you desire, as you will. You know what? Essentially, you could, you could paraphrase it and say, that woman recognized that God is so good that even just a little crumb of his goodness is all I need. Just a little mustard seed of the goodness of God. And so Jesus is like, you, you recognize how good God is? That even though I am sent just to the house of Israel... you just get a little crumb just to spill over and it is more than enough for everything that you need you know Jesus in the gospels he came to fulfill the law he came to fulfill the law that's why he said you know I'm not really coming for anybody but the house of Israel because first he had to fulfill the law that's why he said on the cross it is finished so on the cross when he said it's finished everything wasn't finished because Paul said if Christ didn't raise from the dead, we are of all men most miserable. So what was finished? That was the end of the old agreement, the old covenant. He fulfilled it in every point and perfectly fulfilled it so that it could be finished. Hallelujah. So God is a good God. One of the things as believers that's very important is we never forget how good God is. That God is so good 
that no matter how bad you mess up and no matter how many mistakes you make, he never turns his back on you. He's always there to help, to return you back to the right direction, uh, you know, give you a little nudge when you need a little nudge. Now, love doesn't force you, so he will not force you. You have total choice in the matter. You never lose your choice in the matter because he loves you. But because he loves you, boy, you better look out. He's given you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. He has things prearranged, just like things were prearranged for Jesus, that the, the, the donkey's colt who had never been ridden would be ready, that the supper, the last supper table would be ready. God has everything prepared for you. He has things you don't even know that in your time of need you just call out to him and you look to him and he has already prearranged it. He has already made it available because he loves you and because he's so good. So never get so smart that you forget that God is good. Never get so smart you forget God is good. I'm going to talk about a smart person uh, for just a few minutes. And um, are you wondering who that is in the room? I'm going to go to John chapter 3. His name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus was kind of a smart guy. Pharisee, ruler of the law. I'm going to read 1 through 18 in the New Living Translation. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us your miraculous signs and evidence are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot... See the kingdom of God. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. I didn't finish the quote. For the things that are seen are temporary or subject to change. But the things that are not seen are eternal. That just doesn't mean they last forever. That means they actually are from another realm. We, we, we see and can touch and experience the seen realm, the temporary realm. But every person is more than just a body. And every person is a lot more than just a mind. Every person is actually a spirit creating the likeness and the image of God. And before you're born again, your spirit is separated from God. But as soon as you are born again, or as Jesus said here to Nicodemus, born from above... You actually become a brand new creature. You're a brand new person on the inside. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Old things have passed away. Behold or look. What are you looking at? The unseen. All things are made new. All things are become new. Everything is brand new on the inside. As soon as you receive Jesus, everything is brand new. This changes everything. All right. So what we're doing today is we are doing a double take. So look again, pay really close attention, and we're going to see something on the cross, I think, in, in, in greater uh, clarity than what we've ever seen. So verse 4, 
Can he, uh, three, cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse four, what do you mean, uh, said Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? See, Nicodemus is looking at the things which are seen. But Jesus is so graciously directing him to things you can't see with your natural eye. <laughs> Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, the water of the womb, and the spirit. No one can enter without being, you have to be born twice. You know, born by your mother, born by your heavenly father. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows whatever, wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you cannot explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you're a respected teach, Jewish teacher and you don't understand these things? He probably thought he was a carpenter. <laughs> I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen. And yet, you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Uh, let me take a, a little a pause and go a little side journey for a second. You know, like under the Old Testament, when they would die, uh, they would go to a place the Bible calls Sheol. And it was actually divided into two compartments, and it was not above the earth like heaven. It was actually within the earth. And half of it was Hades, which is what we think of as hell and torment. And the other half was paradise, which is what uh, some people would describe as, you know, very heavenly, heaven-like. But you know, uh, none of those saints could die and actually go to heaven where God lives and God dwells because they were not actually righteous. They were counted righteous, but they had not actually become righteous. So, you know, it's, it's like, okay, I, I counted up, I see all this stuff, and, you know, I understand you're doing all these right things and your heart is right, so uh, I'm going to call you right. But you actually have to have a change on the inside. Something has to actually change on the inside because sin cannot come into the presence of a holy God. So Jesus is here saying, he's like, even these, these men and women who have died and they went to paradise, none of them came from heaven. None of them has even been to heaven, but I came from heaven. I've been to heaven and, and I'm here and I'm telling you about this, right? Because he's going to do what? He's going to make the way to heaven. Bible says, he that ascended, what is it? But the, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. So after he died on the cross, he first descended to the lower parts of the earth. The Bible says he preached to the captives in captivity. What did he preach? He preached about himself, about his blood, about the gospel, the resurrection, and the power of God. So that they could then receive in their heart and actually go to heaven. 
All right, is this too deep? All right, because... Verse 13, no one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And Moses, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son in the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Well, sometimes you get in the presence of um, a move of God, and you might all of a sudden feel kind of judged, like, whoa, because you're kind of attending to a lot of other things, a lot of other things going on. You know, that's not really to judge you. That's actually to save you. That's to, to point you back in the right direction. Uh, that, that's to say, don't forget what manner of man you are. Don't forget that this is just temporary. We are just like temporary residents here. Verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. 18, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Now let's, let's go over to Numbers 21, where Jesus is uh, referring to in verse 14, where he says, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. And that's uh, Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. Numbers 21, verse 4. I'm going to read again in New Living, verse 4. Then the people of Israel sent out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. Man, this is a good one for parenting. And they began to speak against God and Moses. Why are we on this long trip, Dad? Didn't you say you wanted to go to the amusement park? Yeah, but why does it take so long? <laughs> Theirs was a lot better than an amusement park. We have, uh, excuse me, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by taking, excuse me, by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Verse 8. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. They just look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Now I'm going to read verse 8 and 9 again, but in the Amplified Translation. Verse 8, and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent of bronze. 
the, the fiery serpent really uh, didn't refer to a serpent that had fire on it, but it's talking about a poisonous snake. So make this uh, bronze image of a poisonous snake and put it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, will live. Verse 9, and Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it on a pole. And if a serpent had bitten any man, when he looked at the serpent of bronze, attentively, expectantly, with a steady and absorbing gaze, he lived. Let me read that last part again. Attentively, if he looked attentively, expectantly, in other words, I'm going to receive something, I'm looking to receive, with a steady, so like Peter got his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. No, no, I'm not taping my eyes off, my eyes are fixed. An absorbing gaze, in other words, I'm taking it all in. Then he would live. So you see the picture here. They're in the wilderness, and they're wandering in the wilderness, yet God is providing, he's even providing manna from heaven. And they're kind of like, in Egypt, they're like, get us out of here, Lord. Don't you care? Don't you hear our cry? Get us out. So he gets them out, you know, and then, they, you know, they stop up to the Red Sea, and then they're like, oh, we're going to die. Right, and the, the Lord delivers them through the Red Sea, which is a type of the blood of Jesus, that we come through by the blood, right? And, and then they're, they're out in the wilderness, and interesting, they have the same problem again. This, this whining and this complaining. Parents, you have the rights to use this with your children. I, have, I, I do tell my children that. I say, you know, in the wilderness, they whine and complain. Snakes came and bit them. The earth opened up and swallowed them. We do not have any whining and complaining in this house. And then it's really convicting when you hear yourself whine. <laughs> Would you stop complaining, kids? <laughs> But you know, they had the flesh to deal with. Nicodemus, Jesus is trying to explain to him spiritual things. And Nicodemus is trying to understand that through a natural mind. So that's why he says, he's not really a bad guy. He was like, you know, I noticed you're a little different. In fact, I know you're from God. But I really don't understand you. Well, he's a... He's a natural man. He's not renewed in his spirit. He's not new in his spirit. So he can only think natural thoughts. So he's trying to understand what Jesus said without the aid of the Holy Spirit. And so natural human flesh is full of weakness it's very vulnerable to sin. It's that part of your being that gives sin a way in to your life. It's really a sinful nature. You know, your, your flesh does not have a godly nature. It has a very sinful nature. Um, and it really means everything that attaches you to the world and not to God. Okay, so Jesus says, like, you remember how the serpent was lifted up on a bronze pole, bronze serpent on the pole, 
in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So I was thinking about this, and I thought, um, it's real interesting. It's not really the way I would have done it if I was God. I mean, now I would because I've read it, and that's why I know. But without the Lord, I would have never have known that. Like I wouldn't have known that Jesus was probably a stonemason. So get this picture. They are whining and complaining again. But this time these snakes show up, these poisonous snakes show up, and they start to bite them, and the people start to die. And so the people are like, Moses, Moses, do something, do something. So Moses prays, and the Lord said, okay, I want you to take and make an image of what has just bit you, what you have seen bite your friends and relatives and they died from, and I want you to put that on a pole, and I want you to lift it up so everyone can look at this. Well, that makes no sense to my natural brain. He's saying, we, he prayed, and God said, all right, these things are hurting you to the point that it's causing death. And so I want you to lift them up so everybody can look at them, an image of them. Does that make any sense? Why on earth? Is the Lord saying that? But we know he is right. What what are you doing? I thought, okay, wait a second. So that's the result of my sin. Is I'm being bit by a snake. And what you're telling me to do is to take an image of that thing that bit me and caused death in my life and raise it up and then look at it with a steady, absorbing gaze. I thought, well, I guess in one sense, then that's actually looking at my sin. Because the whole reason I was bit by these snakes is because I sinned. Whining, complaining, and not trusting the Lord again. (laughs) Right? And again and again. So, the consequence of my sin, I'm putting it up there. I'm saying, well, maybe maybe the Lord wants everybody else to see so that everybody else... Nobody else does it because they'll be like, look, you won't be bit by a snake. If you, do, if you do what these guys did, that we just buried, you're going to be bit by a snake. So remember. But that's not what it was because we know Jesus said that's the Son of Man would be lifted up like that. And the Bible says that all of those stories in the Old Testament are actually shadows of the real. The types, shadows, images, pictures. So, so we, could, we could actually see what God was trying to say. So you know what happened on the cross when Jesus was on the cross was a lot more than just the Son of God dying on the cross. But when he was on the cross, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Him who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, was made to be sin. He didn't sin, but he was made to be sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So all of a sudden I started to see, I'm like, wait a second. Are you telling me what you want me to look at 
is my sin and the result of my sin has been nailed to a cross. It's been put on him. And then I thought, oh, the Bible says Jesus not despising the shame went to the cross. And so all of a sudden you're telling me my sins and the effect that my sins had on me are on this cross and you want me to see that. You want me to see my sin and the result of my sins, the shame that it has because it's crucified to the cross. It's, its life has been taken from it in a very shameful way. And I thought, oh, that sounds like in Colossians where it says Jesus defeated the principalities and the powers, making a show of them openly. Some translations said that he took through the streets of eternity and he stripped the devil of all of his power and paraded him naked through the streets of eternity for all to see that he is powerless. I thought, oh, well, maybe I should look at the serpent on the pole. No wonder when they looked at that, they lived. So we believe in the power of the resurrection. But you know, if all the sins were on Jesus and God raised him from the dead and those sins were not defeated, he's going to raise from the dead still with all the sins on him. But he defeated every single one of those sins. Do you know, Jesus came to fulfill all of the law. When he came to fulfill all of the law, you know, at that time, the high priest had to take a sacrificial lamb into the most holy place and offer a sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the sins of all the people. Once a year. So you know what happened? It's real interesting. That when Jesus was walking on the earth and he gave up his own life, they came to get him and he freely gave himself up. I'm skipping through a lot of stuff. Why did they do that? You know, the high priest and all the rulers of the law, all the Pharisees, said, we want him crucified. So not only did Satan not realize he was crucifying the Lord of glory and what would happen, he thought he was going to win. But the high priest offered the most perfect sacrifice on the Passover and didn't even understand what he was doing, but even the high priest was fulfilling all of the law by offering the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It was offered by the high priest. God is like 20 steps ahead of all the rest of us. That is good news. So Jesus, on the cross, he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Well, the devil thought, I got him. I got this thing done. Well, Jesus took your place and he took my place. He took your sin and he took, my, he took my sin. And so when he went down there, he never sinned. But my sin and your sin still took him down to hell. So that what? He went right into the headquarters of the devil. And the Bible says he took the keys of death, 
of hell and of the grave. So I don't care at what point you have messed up, at what point you have missed it, Jesus has already conquered all the power of the devil at every single point and freed you at every single point. So maybe instead of seeing your sins on yourself or your sicknesses on yourself, maybe look at the serpent on the pole. Look at Jesus on the pole and actually see your sins on him and see your sicknesses on him. You know, I like in uh, Matthew, I think, 10, 17, it says that Jesus uh, took our sickness and disease, uh, God took them and placed them on Jesus. And it's the Greek word NASA. Like he lifted them off. So I have a question for you. Let's just say uh, Melody has sickness and disease. And if I take her sickness and disease and if I lift it off of her, or if I take her sins and I lift them off and I, I place them on Jesus on the cross, who has them? She does not have them. He has them. But yet if I don't, if I just kind of glance over at that and I say, oh yeah, he, he died on the cross. He died to pay for my sins. Well, that, that's good news that he died to pay for my sins that by his stripes we were healed. But how much greater is it that if he's paying for them and he actually has them, they're actually no longer mine. They're no longer on me. So if, if I have those things on me, then they are trespassing. And legally they have no right to be there. Praise the Lord. It is an attentive, expectant, steady, and absorbing gaze where you receive life. Because Jesus died on the cross with our sins. When he rose from the dead, he was not just overcoming rigor mortis. He wasn't trying to just soften up this stiff body. He did overcome death. But sin gives way to death. He overcame sin. For every single person who would ever live, that we could all have life. Uh, 2 Peter 2.24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Do you see now the connection? Like why in the world in 2 Peter 2.24 is he talking about righteousness and healing? Righteousness and healing. Well, whoever would look would live. Whoever would look with a steady, constant, absorbing gaze and see Jesus on the cross. But what was on Jesus on the cross? Your sins 
and your sicknesses and your result of sin. Right? Your, your, your sins and your sicknesses. Little side journey, just because you have sickness attack your body does not mean that you sinned. But it, it, it could. But not every time, that's not what that means. Sin entered the world, so sin's in the world system. That's a whole other message. We're not doing that right now. So whose, whose own self, he himself bore your sins. He himself bore your sins. Well, you see those Israelite children, they sinned. But actually, if they looked at the serpent on the pole, they would see on the pole their sins and the result of their sins. Defeated, done, finished, gone, no longer power. And when they took that in, they lived. Life was restored. Health came back when they took that in. Well, how much more for us when we look at that pole and we see Jesus on that pole and we understand, wait a second, he wasn't just counted sin, he became sin. I mean, it's the best deal, the best thing that could happen to anybody ever in existence, that you actually get set free and the cost was totally paid by someone else who has no ulterior motives but your goodness, your restoration to life, your restoration to health, your restoration to blessing, that you could actually be as he is, so could we be in this world, in this life. And thank God when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. But we have life for our journey now. We have strength for our journey now. We have freedom for our journey now that we don't have to live under the weight and the consciousness that we are wrongdoers, that we are sinners. As soon as you are born again, you are not a sinner. That life is over. That life is done. Now, you may have a thought like, yeah, but I, I know since I have received Jesus, I have sinned. Well, you still have the flesh to contend with. You still have the devil to contend with, but you may be a saint that sometimes sins, but you are not a sinner that sometimes does good things. Your nature is completely different. That's not who you are. Sometimes I hear myself say something very unscriptural. Bah. Word vomit, you know. What I have trained myself to do, because sometimes I would recognize that before, and I'd be like, I can't believe I just did that. What is wrong with me? <laughs> so I was tempted. I gave into the temptation, right? Tempted to say something bad because I felt like that, right? And I gave into that, and then the devil was right there to help me along and say, that's right, you're just a mess up. <laughs> Look at you saying you can do all that. You're just a mess up. You're just horrible. Somebody said, the devil will trip you and then uh, blame it on you that you fell. <laughs> so what I have trained myself to do is, I hear myself say something like that, like, I don't think this is ever going to work. As soon as I hear myself say that, now what I endeavor to do is I say, I don't believe a word of what I just said. What I believe is what God said. I believe God will make a way when it seems like there is no way that he makes a way. 
I believe that the Lord causes streams of water to flow in the wilderness. I believe that the Lord causes a water to spring up where it's all dry ground. I believe that the Lord can cause water to gush out of a rock. God will make a way. The thought will come, it's not going to come, it's not going to work. I say, you know what, you're right. With man, it's not possible. But we're dealing with more than just me right here. We're dealing with a man whose name is Jesus, who dominated all of the natural forces of the earth and all of the spiritual forces on the earth, above the earth, and under the earth. And then he said, I have given you authority. Amen. 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 Stand with me if you would. God raised Jesus from the dead. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, whoever, anywhere, any place, anytime, whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life or eternal life, the very life of God. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning, I want to invite you to receive this eternal life. Jesus said the whole reason he came was so that you would have life and have it more abundantly. It's not the will of God that you go through life wondering what the whole purpose is, wondering why you're here. It's not the will of God that you not be so satisfied and so thrilled with the goodness of God and the goodness of life that you just have trouble every night going to sleep because you're so thrilled. He wants you to have that life flowing out of you and flowing into you and flowing from you. He wants you to have the same satisfaction that he has today. He wants you to have in your own heart. That you, you have no regrets. That, that you're not disappointed. That you're not dreading tomorrow. He wants you to look forward to tomorrow. He wants you to enjoy today. He wants you to get free from yourself free from the thoughts that the enemy would bring. He wants you to have total freedom and total fullness of life. But the only way that you ever get that is when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. What does that mean? Well, what that means is you turn your whole life over to Jesus. All of your plans, all of your dreams, all the things you try to accomplish, you try to do, you say, you know what? I'm just giving it all over to Jesus. I'm not going to try to do this myself anymore. I need God in my life. Therefore, I need Jesus in my life. And I want to receive him today. The Bible says as many as received Jesus, those are the ones he gave the right to be the children of God. It's not automatic. Just because your parents believe in Jesus, your family believes in Jesus, you go to a church that believes in Jesus, every individual person must receive him and to everyone every single one that receives him they receive the father god and they receive the life of god i'm going to pray a prayer in just a few seconds and when i do if you'd like to receive jesus as your lord as your savior if you'd like to come back to god maybe you maybe you were born again and you you, you just let other things come in and got focused on other things but you know in your heart i, I need to come back to god I need to make a decision today and say, you know what? I'm done with all that other stuff. My number one is Jesus. I'm going to give him my life. God loves you. 
He has a plan for you. He doesn't want you depressed. He doesn't want you defeated. He wants you so full of life and joy and strength that you spill over everywhere you go. Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're going to do that. We're going to, from our hearts, confess that. All believers and those who would like to come back to the Lord and those who would like to receive Jesus for the first time, let's all do that together. Say this. Say, oh God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son and that he died on the cross to take away my sins. I believe that you raised him from the dead so I could be clean, so I could be right with you. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord, my Savior. I'm going to live for you for the rest of my life. Father God, thank you that I am now your child. I have now been born again. In Jesus' name, amen.